Again, so excited that you guys are uh, you're with us this morning for our Sacred Letter series. We've got a lot of great things happening in around this church. Hopefully you can be a part of one or, or more of those things. Uh, it's funny, this morning I was thinking, I knew the, the choir and the praise band always had my back, but now they're literally staring at my back. And so this is a little weird, but I, I, it's not my best side. I apologize, but I will do my best. Uh, but we've got a special... Uh, presentation coming up for you in just a few minutes. I'm excited for that. We're excited about a lot of things going on around here. Uh, we had a, a new a newbies, a newcomers lunch a few weeks ago and had the largest one this church has ever had, which is exciting. We have new people coming each and every week. We're excited about the Harvest Festival coming up. We're getting close to meeting our budget. That's why we keep talking about money. Not because we're desperate, but because we're just so excited about what we can do when we finally are out of debt and can start meeting the needs in this building, but more importantly, outside of this building. So thanks for being a part of this place. Thanks for coming this morning. Hopefully it's a great experience for you. On that note, I want to tell you real fast, every week we're doing seven different challenges called The Power of One. It's our ministry theme and focus for the year. And it's just a way that we can kind of live in and live out the words that are up above me here on this stage. And so what we do every week is give one dollar. So on your way out, you're going to see some little bins. Just throw a dollar in there on your way out. We take that money, however much it is every week, and we give it on a Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning to a family right here in our church that's in need. And last week it was a single mom who had just moved across town, two girls, We just thought, you know what, with moving, there's always extra expenses, aren't there? And so we said, here, we'd love to help you get settled into a home with your girls. In the next couple of weeks, we're hoping to take the money. It's been about $500 every week the last couple of of weeks. We're hoping to take it, compile it, and use it to help some young couples out. You know, marriage is hard early on. It's hard to make two into one. And so we're going to pay for some counseling sessions some opportunities for some couples to, to talk to some professionals. So if you would, put the money in there. We're using it for great good. Thank you guys for being a part of it. Uh, it's just been awesome. We love that. We love opening that box every Monday morning. Let me pray for our time together this morning. God, I thank you for this time, for this hour and 15 minutes or so. Although it's not much, you can do so much in this time. You can speak to us, you can heal us, you can free us, you can empower us, God. And so would you come and do it all right now, like you did at Pentecost? Would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to every single one of us and to change our lives from the inside out? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me tell you a story this morning that will hopefully make you feel a lot better about your life, no matter how bad it has been thus far. At the age of seven, this particular boy had to go to work to support his family, At nine, his mother passed away. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. At 23, he went into debt. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him in even larger debt. By the age of 35, he'd been defeated twice when running for a seat in Congress. At 39, after finally winning two years before, he lost his re-election bid. At 41, his four-year-old son passed away. At 42, he was rejected for a land officer role. At 45, he ran for Senate and lost. At 47, he was defeated as the vice president. At 49, he ran for Senate and again it lost. And he lost again there. And at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. But during his second term, he was assassinated. Who am I talking about? Anybody have an idea? Abraham Lincoln. Poor old chap. Man, he had a rough go, did he not? You talk about a life filled with obstacles. I think Abraham Lincoln epitomizes that. And although maybe we can't and hopefully don't relate to Abraham because of all those different obstacles, we can relate to obstacles in general, can't we? We all know what they feel like, what they look like. Maybe for some of us, an obstacle looks something like this. This is a a pair of seats at Lucas Oil Stadium. Imagine purchasing NFL tickets only to see this. Wonderful game. Mm. Obstacles. 
Oh, the joy of obstacles. Or maybe it was something like this. You go on a family vacation, you got all your snow gear, all your snowboard and ski stuff packed, and you see the road closed. Oh, obstacles, the joy of obstacles. Or maybe it was something like this that totally messed up your schedule and your graduation hopes. You thought you were all set, but nope, you had three other prereqs you have not taken yet. Or maybe it was something like this that turns the happiest place into the most depressing place on earth. You're not tall enough. Obstacles, don't we hate obstacles? I would even say obstacles are awful. It could be a literal barrier in a road, a limitation you have to deal with in life, or just a silly law that doesn't make any sense. But obstacles, no matter what shape or size, are awful. And if we're honest, sometimes life feels like a giant obstacle course, doesn't it? Something like this. You know, you, you cross one hurdle, you get over one obstacle only to be faced with ten more. You jump through one set of hoops only to realize there are ten other sets waiting for you. Life sometimes feels like a giant obstacle course. And what's true in life is actually also true in faith. You see, for most people, coming to know God, coming to have a relationship with Christ, coming to be filled with his life and his love and his spirit, it's like going through an obstacle course. It is not an easy endeavor to say the least. In fact, it's an extremely difficult endeavor. Maybe it's the world that we're born into, the culture that we're born into, the family that we're born into, the body that we're born into, just the sinful condition that we're born to. But each and every one of us, in one way or another, faces a unique set of challenges in coming to know God. We have to overcome a unique set of obstacles in coming to know God. And this morning, I want to share with you three stories that talk a lot about obstacles. But more importantly, they challenge us to see them not so much as obstacles, but as opportunities. Not so much as burdens, but as blessings. Because our God has an opportunity to take an obstacle and use it for your good and for his glory. I'm excited to share these stories with you. Before I do, though, I want our worship ministry to do a special presentation that powerfully portrays obstacles. Take a look. Thank you all so much for that. Let's read some text together that talks about overcoming obstacles. Mark chapter 1, verse 29, reads like this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening the sunset, at sunset, people brought to Jesus all of the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had so many different types of diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. A man with leprosy then came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and, to the, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. This will be a testimony to everybody. But instead he went out and talked openly and so freely, started spreading the news about Jesus. In Mark 2, we read this. A few days later, after Jesus had again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left not even outside of the door. So he preached to them from inside. He preached the word to them. 
Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four others. Since they could not get in to see Jesus because of the large crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat down that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. So he turned to the man and said, I tell you now, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of everybody. This amazed everyone. They praised God saying, wow, we have never seen anything like this. Let's dissect these three stories by looking at three particular obstacles that they make mention of. Obstacles that keep us from believing. Obstacles that keep us from becoming. Obstacles that keep us from belonging. The first is simply this, pain and poor health. For most people in the world, especially in a culture like ours, which idolizes bodies and beautiful images and perfect health, we love to live for long, long, long years. Disease and pain and sickness, they present very real obstacles to believing in God, don't you think? It's hard when you're sick to know or trust or believe in a loving God. I mean, physical limitations and ailments, maybe mental illnesses or disabilities, but all of them present really tough incredibly large obstacles to coming to know God. Think about the stories that we just read. These physical ailments, these illnesses, literally stopped these people from meeting Jesus. First is Peter's mother-in-law, and it was a fever. She couldn't serve because she was sick. Next was this leper. He couldn't go into uh, the city. He couldn't be a part of things because of this horrible skin disease. And for the paralytic, it was a horrible set of restrictions. His body was unable to do things. The illnesses were obstacles. It's hard to develop a relationship with God. It's hard to spend much time talking about God or talking to God when all you can think about is the pain or the pills or the next procedure. But more than that, there are questions that come along with poor health and pain, aren't there? Questions like, why, God? Why are you doing this? Why has this happened? Why aren't you stopping this from happening? Why is my body falling apart? Why did I contract this? Why don't you heal me? Those are all obstacles. And along with the physical and the mental obstacles that go along with pain and poor health, there's also the social and relational obstacles. As a leper, as someone who had this debilitating and disgusting skin disease, this man was literally banished outside of town. He couldn't live in Littleton anymore. He had to live in Bailey. (laughs) Bailey? They they pushed him out of town. And any time he wanted to come back into Littleton proper, he had to cover himself with sheets. And he had to mutter under his breath. He couldn't even look at him. He had to mutter under his breath, unclean, unclean, get away. You see, he's isolated. He's ostracized. His illness caused there to be a great separation from other people. And the paralytic in our text, well, you can imagine what life would be like as a paralytic, as a quadriplegic. He couldn't join his friends in doing anything, running, walking, traveling, skiing, hiking. He was always at home alone because of his ailment. But maybe even more than that, see, people in the first century believed you got what you deserved. And so a lot of people maybe thought this man was a really screwed up person 
because look at what he got. You talk about isolation. You talk about frustration. You talk about obstacles. Seclusion, judgment, isolation, fear, sadness, those always come with pain and poor health. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you experienced this isolation, this seclusion, this judgment after your marriage fell apart, came to an end. You felt like people just walked out on you. Maybe you experienced those same things after you messed up sexually, so you made one kind of bad decision after another to try to cover that up and make up for it, but it just caused more obstacles, more seclusion, more judgment. Maybe it was after you went through chemo or lost all your hair or lost all your strength or you couldn't keep any food down. Maybe you thought to yourself, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody can sympathize. Nobody knows what to do with me. No one wants to be around me. These are words that speak to obstacles. Do you hear them? They're words that speak to pain and poor health. And if you don't believe it still, just ask any family who has a child with a special need. Ask someone who's bound to a wheelchair. Ask someone who's had an abortion. Pain and poor health, major obstacles to coming to see God, to coming to know God, to coming to believe in God. But there's another obstacle. In addition to pain and poor health, people can be an obstacle to coming to know God, can't they? If it weren't for people, I would love people. You ever heard yourself saying that before, or at least thinking it? In the story of the paralytic, the house in which Jesus is teaching is so jam-packed with people, you can't even get in. These four guys couldn't find a way into the house. They just want to get their friend in front of Jesus. They just want their paralyzed friend to meet and to see Jesus. And yet there's this huge crowd of people stopping them from doing it. Let me talk about an obstacle. Crowds are crazy. Amen? And I hate them. If you know anything about me, you know I like to kind of be alone with people, small group, band of brothers kind of thing, with the family. Large crowds drive me crazy. There's a side of Thomas that isn't very Christian that comes out when he's in a crowd. It's just crazy. And coming from Southern California, we were around crowds all the time, right? Maybe it was Mickey Mouse at Disneyland or the pop star in Beverly Hills or the freeway at rush hour. But there's always these crowds, and they're chaotic, and they're limiting. They present obstacles. But it's not just crowds that keep us from Christ. Individuals can do it too, can't they? Or maybe it's a deadbeat dad who forever tainted your view of loving father. Maybe for you, it is a professor, a know-it-all professor who drills it into your head that faith is for fools. Maybe it's a group of friends that belittled you for wanting to go to church or wanting to stay pure. People can present obstacles, can they not, to coming to know God? Huge obstacles. But here's the craziest thing about this particular story. In the book of Luke, we're told about the same exact story, that this crowd in the house is actually a bunch of Pharisees and religious experts. The house is full, basically, of a bunch of preachers and religion professors. This is a crazy party, I'm sure. woo But the irony is thick. The irony is sick. The ones called to lead others to God are stopping people from coming to God. The one who have been commissioned to invite others in are actually forcing others out. And what happened in that day happens today, doesn't it? We know this. Church people are sometimes the worst ones out there. It could be the hypocritical preacher that, that spends your tithes and offerings on that multi-million dollar house in the hills. It could be a story of another major moral failing by a major Christian leader. It could be a group of Christians that are far more interested in arguing over minute details in the Bible than actually doing anything the Bible tells you to do. 
It could be a church that's so cliquish, so inwardly focused, it crowds outsiders further out. They don't see them. They don't want them. They don't notice them. You talk about obstacles. People, people, people can present massive obstacles. There's a third obstacle, though, and it's honestly the most significant obstacle out there. It's one that we each face in coming to know God. It's our personal sin. See, the ultimate obstacle, the root cause of all obstacles, for that matter, it's sin. It's our natural tendency to live selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-exalting lives. You've heard that phrase before, there's no I in team. Well, there's an I right in the middle of sin. Because what happens when you sin is you take your focus off of God, off of his promises for you, off of his plan for you, and you redirect it all back on yourself. In today's culture, I talk about it being an obsession with sex, stuff, and success. But call it what you want, describe it however you want, it destroys us. Hebrews 12 one says it entangles us, kind of like a spider web. So when you go through sin, not only do you look like a spaz, right? You ever seen somebody walk through a spider web, they didn't know it? It's like, <laughs> So you look like a spaz in sin, but, not, but more than that, you are limited. It is entangling you. It's a web you can't shake off. It keeps grabbing a hold of you as you try to get out of it. Look at what Hebrews 12.14 says. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Live a life without sin. Why? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Sin is stopping you from seeing God. And the sin in your life is stopping other people from seeing God in your life. Because of sin, because we're too busy looking at ourselves and ignoring God, because we're too busy trying to please ourselves instead of helping others, because we're too busy making a name for ourselves instead of lifting up the name of Jesus, we don't see God. Sin is an obstacle. And what I love about this story is Jesus walks into the middle of all these obstacles and he says, enough. These will no longer be an obstacle to you coming to know God. They will be an opportunity for you to get to know him better. They will no longer be a barrier that is hindering you or limiting your view of God. Instead, they're going to be a blessing that will expand your understanding and your view of God. Let me show you what I mean. To these three obstacles, Jesus says three things. To those experiencing the obstacle of pain and poor health, Jesus says, rest assured. In the middle of our pain and poor health, he tells those of us who are sick and tired, those of us who are sick of being tired, those of us who are tired of being sick, he tells all of us, decay, disease and death they are no obstacle to me they will not stop me from doing what i need to do in your life i love that in these stories in fact in almost all healing stories in the book of mark the word immediately is a part of the story and immediately jesus healed him why why would it say that why would why would it do that because they're trying to show you the power of jesus over the power of pain and poor health maybe you've had this illness for 80 years but in one split second jesus can heal it. See, it'd be very different if we read, and so Jesus called together a committee. They talked about it for a few months. They did some research. They tried a few things. It didn't work. Seven years later, he found a cure, and they were freed. Amen? Uh, Immediately, because of Jesus. You see, I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how many years you've suffered. I don't care how many tests you've gone through, how many experts have come and gone. The miraculous healing of Jesus proves to us, one, he cares, and two, he promises it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. What happened for these people and countless others throughout the scripture will happen for each and every one of us. These stories prove to us that all illness, all pain, all suffering, whether a fever, a disease, or a paralytic condition. All of them are finite. 
They will all come to an end. Just a little side note. This is why I think Satan is numbered in the book of Revelation because numbers are finite. He will come to an end and so will your pain and poor health. I caught an amazing glimpse of this recently in this YouTube clip where a woman named Sloane Sherman, born deaf, suddenly heard for the first time on her 29th birthday. Check out this video. Oh, that moved. <laughs> it's like so close. <laughs> So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. What does it sound like? Oh, mommy, you're going to cry. Can you hear me? And you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, that's good. <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> Do you want to hear your husband say something? <laughs> love this video for so many reasons. I love the stories in Mark for so many reasons, but ultimately because they give us a glimpse of what is coming for each and every one of us, right? The doctor says to the woman, oh, we're so close. Christian, if you are struggling with pain and poor health, you are so close. Don't give up. Don't give in. Healing is on its way. Yes, pain and poor health can be obstacles, but Jesus will turn them into an opportunity to hear things you've never heard before, to see things you've never seen before. And when it says, do you want to hear your husband say something? You will hear the laughter of the father over you, like the guy in the video. He didn't know what to say. He was just so glad she could hear again. <laughs> you will hear the laughter of heaven. Now at this point, I know we need to talk about, yes, there will be a day when we're healed from pain and poor health, but why isn't that day today? This could be an entire sermon series, right? But... But let me just make mention of a few things here. First is this. I don't know. I just don't know. I cannot make complete sense of pain and poor health. I can't give you a foolproof explanation for why it happens or why it happens to certain people, not others, or why God isn't stopping it, stopping it from happening from all people. But based on these texts, I do know a couple things. The first is this. God sees you. God knows you. God sympathizes with you when you're hurting. Plain and simple. God has a compassion on, and he draws near to those who are being tormented and torn apart by illness and disease, even demonic possession. And when everybody else runs away, Jesus comes closer. When no one else will dare to touch you, Jesus puts his hands all over you. When no one else has a clue what to do or how to help, Jesus knows exactly what to do. So not only does he know you and does he see you, but secondly, He's trying to prove to you through these stories, your pain, your poor health, it's not part of his ultimate design for you. It's not part of his ultimate desire for you, and it's not part of his ultimate destiny for you. 
Illness is not some punishment that you have received. It's not something that you deserve. Illness is not something that God is incapable of dealing with. Illness is right there in his grasp, and he can use it again for his good and for your glory. This is easy to say, hard to live through, right? Christians have to live between these two promises. There's the promise given to James, the prayer offered in faith will heal a man. Well, then we pray for that. We want Mark 1 and 2 to happen right now in our church. But then we also have to live with the other promise given to Paul. I'm not going to heal you right now because somehow through your illness, I will do things I couldn't do otherwise. And so we have to live in this place. He can say yes here. He could say yes here. He can say no here. He can say no here. And I don't know why. I just have to trust him. Yes, the power of faith will heal you. And I believe the miraculous healing from pain and suffering would bring great praise to God. But here's just a little side note, a little personal thought. Miraculous healing from pain and suffering is a testimony to God, is it not? But I think in America today, an even greater testimony to God is the faithful endurance through pain and suffering. See, in America, we just chalk it up to somebody else's success. Oh, medical technology, medical advancements, wonderful. No, it's Jesus Christ. And in that first day, that, that first century world, they had to give him the credit. We don't normally give him the credit. But when you see a Christian suffering over the long haul through an illness, despite the fact they're not being healed from the illness, that's a testimony to God. That's a testimony to the power of the Spirit. So you're not being healed. I know it would be a powerful testimony. I wish it would happen for you. I'm praying that it will. But if you persevere through it, it's an equally powerful testimony. Don't ever doubt that. To those facing the obstacle of people, Jesus actually says, yeah, I know people drive you crazy, but you're going to have to rely on other people. I'm not going to get you out of that class, okay? People can make it hard to see God, but the reality, reality is, more often than not, other people are actually the ones that help us to see God. They're the ones that draw us closer to God. I love the story of the paralytic because it describes two different groups of people. There's a group of people that makes it incredibly difficult to see God. And there's a group of people, a much smaller group of people, group of four guys that will stop at nothing so you can see God. Yes, there are hypocritical, naive, two-faced, phony, sinful Christians that are out there and they put a bad taste in your mouth as it pertains to religion or church or God. But the fact of the matter is they're just one group. There's another group entirely. See, I've had bad service at a restaurant before. Anybody else? But I haven't given up on all waiters and waitresses or the idea of eating out. I've had a bad haircut before. In fact, how do you think I ended up like this? <laughs> but I haven't given up on all barbers or the idea of grooming. I know some of you have had a bad experience with church people, but don't give up on all Christians and definitely don't give up on God. In fact, if we're honest, we're just like the paralytic. And although people can drive us crazy, we need people to help us get to places we couldn't go on our own. We're just like the paralytic in that we're limited. We need friends. We need family. We need a community of faith to help us get somewhere we couldn't get on our own. Sometimes those people have to carry us. Sometimes they got to drag us closer to Christ. God has designed this life to be done with others. You can't do it on your own. And so many times when someone is struggling with something, when they're doubting the faith, when they're wrestling with God, what do they typically do? They separate themselves from the community. I saw it happen all the time with students. They started to question whether or not they really believed in God anymore. So they stopped going to church. They stopped reading the Bible. They stopped hanging out with their Christian friends. That's the worst thing you can do. You need to be carried in those moments. Don't run away from a community of faith. Run to them. Say, I need someone to take me to Jesus because I don't even know if he exists. 
I don't even know if he's real. I can't get to him on my own. Would somebody help me get there? And we will step up and hopefully say, yes, we will. You see, if it was bad for Adam to be alone, it's really bad for you to be alone. You need people. So Jesus says, rely on others. So some of us need to stop hiding. We need to stop being this self-made person. And we need to admit that we need help. We need some help right now. The marriage, the family, the finances, we just need, we need some help. Rely on others. But more than that, on the flip side, we also have to believe with all of our hearts that, that people outside of this church won't probably come to know God without our help. Yeah, we definitely need help. But they need help too, finding God. Think about how committed this group of men was in the story of the paralytic. These four guys risked everything. They risked upsetting people, destroying property, embarrassing themselves, offending the religious community. But who cared? They didn't. They would stop at nothing so their non-believing friend would get to know Jesus. I wonder how committed are we, West Bowles, at doing anything and everything to help an unbelieving city come to see Jesus? Let me ask you this way. Take a look real fast for me, if you would, at your fingernails. This could be a scary proposition for some of you. Some of you, it's like, ooh, yeah, ooh. And others are like, I got them done yesterday. Look at this. Let me ask you a question, though. How much dirt is under those fingernails right now? And, and yeah, farmers and mechanics, you, you, you pass on this one automatically. But spiritually, how much dirt? You see, the men had to unroof the roof is what the text said. They had to dig through the roof so their non-believing friend could come to believe in Jesus. Have you started to dig yet? How much dirt is in your fingers? If you haven't started to unroof a roof for your non-believing family member, your non-believing friend, your non-believing neighbors, you haven't done enough yet. Start digging. I want these fingers to be dirty. And don't ever underestimate the role that you play in helping others find Jesus. The text tells us that Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four men, and forgave the sins of the other man. He recognized that these four believed so much, they were able to somehow position the one to come to believe as well. And that leads us to our third and final point. To those facing the obstacle of sin, we could all raise our hands. Jesus says, receive my forgiveness. To those facing pain and poor health, he says, rest assured, it won't always be like this. You will soon hear. To those struggling with other people, he says, rely on others, but choose which group you're relying on. And to those struggling with sin, all of us in this room, he says, receive my forgiveness. See, we've talked a lot about pain and hypocritical people, and that's important, but the real problem in life, the real obstacle Jesus came to do away with is sin. So many times in, in the Bible, someone will come to Jesus for healing and he'll say the same thing he did to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. Well, that's nice, but I kind of wanted to walk again. That's nice, but I, I was hoping you would stop the bleeding or do away with the cancer. It's like going to a homeless guy and saying, uh, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's great, but I was hoping for a sandwich. Right? It doesn't seem like it's that much help. But I think what Jesus is trying to do here is he's communicating to us in four simple words, your sins are forgiven. He is saying this, we think a person's physical infirmities are bad. Sin is worse. What's happening inside of your heart, inside your spirit, is so much worse. So I'm the only one that can deal with that, Jesus says, and I will. When Jesus offers the paralytic forgiveness, what he's doing is he's taking on the prerogative of God. You see, you only forgive somebody if they've done something against you, right? If somebody punched you in the face, not sure why they would, hope that they wouldn't, but let's say they did. And I went to that someone and I said, I forgive you. It's okay. What right do I have to forgive the person? No, you have to forgive them. They punched you in the face. 
So what this crowd is saying, why they're so up in arms, is because of this. Only God can forgive sins because sin is against God. So Jesus, are you saying you're God? Because you're forgiving sins on behalf of God. And I think Jesus kind of gave a little smirk and a little head nod like, mm-hmm. Jesus is God. And because he is, he has the power and the authority on the spot to give you anything and everything you need. These stories prove it to us. But we don't really know what we need. <laughs> and he does. I imagine the paralyzed man thought to himself, if only I could walk again. If only I'd be set free. If only I'd, I'd, I'd have my health again, then I'd never be unhappy again. I'd never complain again. If only I could walk again, everything in life would be okay and all right. And Jesus kind of stops him dead in his tracks and says, my son, you're mistaken. This may sound harsh, but it's ultimate truth. If I heal your body, and that's all I do for you, you think you'll never be unhappy again, but that's not right. Just wait a few months. Wait a few years, you'll have your health, but the euphoria of it will wear off and discontentment will come back. More obstacles will come into your life. I'm trying to remove the root of all obstacles from you, and that's sin. Right? We come to Jesus and we normally say, this is what I need from you, this is what I want you to fix, this is where the problems are. If you could just do this for me, everything would be okay. And Jesus says, no, it's not. No, it won't. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go to the root of the problem. See, we don't need someone who will grant our wishes. We need someone who will make us whole. We don't need someone who will grant our requests. We need someone who can resurrect our dead soul. We need to be forgiven. And the good news is Jesus is ready to do it. I love this story. The guy doesn't even ask for forgiveness. He's just like, you want it, you want it, you want it? Here it is. Bailey in the, in the backyard sometimes will, will get a pile of leaves or a pile of anything and she'll just throw it up and just go, confetti! Like, woo! I just think Jesus does that with forgiveness. It's like, it's just, there's so much of it. I just want to throw it up so everybody can walk under it. Your sins are forgiven, he says. In four words, he says this, rejoice, not only in the fact that you can walk, but that you will walk forever. Rejoice in the fact that I can heal your body, but more importantly, I can untangle you from sin forever. I can set you free from all barriers that are keeping you from a God who knows you, loves you, and wants to be, you, be with you. Whatever you think you've done, he says, you didn't deserve this. Whatever you think you did to bring this about, it's not true. You are forgiven of everything that's been done to you and everything you have done to others. God's not angry with you, he's not punishing you, and he's definitely not ignoring you. Your sins are forgiven. He forgives him so readily because he so desperately wants him to know God. And so I just want to end our time this morning by asking, are you ready to receive that forgiveness Some of us have probably heard this invitation a thousand times, but some of us have not yet accepted it. Have you heard Jesus say to you personally, your sins are forgiven. Every obstacle that's ever been put in your path between you and God can be removed today. I want you to allow Jesus to not only forgive you of your sin, but turn every obstacle into opportunity, every burden into blessing. I want him to draw you close to your creator. Let me pray that will happen this morning. God, we thank you for your words. And you don't have to say much to say so much. We are thankful that Jesus came and said to other people and to us that our sins are forgiven. The root problem, God, the the number one obstacle keeping us from you, our sin, has been destroyed. You came and you dealt with that obstacle personally. You ran right through it so that we could run to God. And this morning we ask that whether it's pain and poor health, 
whether it's other people that are driving us crazy or maybe it's our sin that's just weighing us down, would you help us, help us to overcome these obstacles? We want to see you. We want to know you. Life is better with you. Life is more abundant with you. Life makes more sense with you. We need you. If there's so many obstacles stopping us from you, would you help us and in fact maybe overcome these obstacles for us? This morning I pray those who have never heard or received your forgiveness before would do that now. Would they hear your word speaking directly to them? Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it can be a poll at Lucas Oil Stadium, a class in college, a height requirement at Disneyland. Maybe it's a physical illness, a group of ignorant people, or personal sin. God takes obstacles and makes them opportunities. He takes barriers and turns them into blessings. I pray you will come to know that this week and every week from here on out. Hope you have an amazing week. Grateful that you were here this morning. Join us. We'll start the game in 10 minutes from now. See you downstairs.